Good morning. All right. I see some of the children are already back there. Other children, if you'd like to head back to the tables, feel free to jump back there. Uh, today we're talking about this story where Jesus walked on water. And so you guys are going to, Brian Kaplan was telling me, he's got a fun project for you back there to work on about Jesus walking on water, the disciples uh, in the boat fighting the waves. So last week we talked about uh, the loaves and fishes and how uh, there, were, there was this group of 5,000 people and there was not enough to eat and Jesus uh, performed this miracle where out of five loaves and two fish there was abundance, there was more than enough, uh, more than anyone could ever imagine. And there's a story that follows right on the heels of that. We looked at that story in the Gospel of Luke, but today we're in the Gospel of Mark. And Mark told that same story of the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark 6, verse 30. And then following on the heels of that story is our story today, Mark 6, verse 45. So we're we're uh, in this journey we're calling Three Years with Jesus, where we're looking at different gospel texts every week for the next three years. Summers will look uh, a little different, but um, all these stories, all these teachings are available online each week, and there's a team here that writes discussion questions each week for our faith communities. Our faith communities are uh, basically our small groups. It's where church really happens throughout the week, communities of people getting together throughout the week. Uh, in homes and uh, all over Marin. And so if you're not in a faith community, I invite you to talk to me or Brian Tabor. Where'd Brian go? He was here. Uh, he walked out. Um, to get into a faith community. Uh, because our faith communities are looking at these texts every week as well. And so families, uh, as you gather together around the table as families, are uh, our kids and our students are looking at these same texts every week. And so it's a great opportunity for families and faith communities to have conversations together around these texts uh, that we're going to be looking at for the next three years. And so Jesus has just fed 5,000 people. And if you were here this uh, last week, if you remember, uh, the disciples had just been out uh, going to surrounding towns and villages and talking about the kingdom of God, talking about this movement that Jesus came to inaugurate, talking about this way of peace, this way of shalom, this way of forgiveness, this way of hope and healing, this way of being markedly different in the world than the surrounding culture. And uh, the disciples are tired. They're exhausted. And Jesus says, come away with me. Let's get away. Let's retreat for a while, and they get in a boat, and they go uh, to a different place, and when they get there, the crowds are there, waiting for them. And the disciples are exhausted, I'm sure Jesus is exhausted, but the text says Jesus had compassion on them, and he welcomed them, and he spent time with them, and he fed them, uh, spiritually and physically. And so you can imagine after this that they must be really exhausted. And so our text begins, verse 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, where he dismissed, while he dismissed the crowd. So uh, make of this what you will, I don't know. The, uh, in the Greek, uh, it's actually a stronger word than made. It, it's forced. Jesus forced his disciples to get in the boat. 
and go on ahead of him. Uh, perhaps it was they didn't want to leave without Jesus uh, because the last time they were in a boat, uh, there was a storm that came up uh, and Jesus was asleep, but at least he calmed the storm. Uh, in the Jewish consciousness, the sea means chaos. And while many of these disciples are experienced fishermen, they don't like venturing out into the middle of the sea. The Sea of Galilee is about 45 square miles. It's about the thir a third of the size of Lake Tahoe, uh, surrounded by hills and mountains, and a storm can come up on the Sea of Galilee like that. And so uh, Jesus has to force his disciples to go. Um, perhaps part of it is Jesus knows, hey, you're tired, you need to get away. You go, I'll stay and dismiss the crowds. But Jesus also needs some space. And the text says, after leaving them, Jesus went up on a mountainside to pray. And so Jesus, Jesus has these rhythms in his ministry where he knows that he is on the go, he is with people, he is teaching, he is healing, he is ministering to people all the time and it can get exhausting and so Jesus has this rhythm where he withdraws and he gets away from the crowds and he spends time in prayer. Jesus knows intuitively that in order to be most effective in the ministry that he is called to, the, the divine incarnate Christ knows that if I am going to be effective in this ministry to these people, I must withdraw and I must be alone with my Father and spend time in solitude and in prayer. Uh, the great spiritual master Henry Nouwen once said this. He said, somewhere we know that without a lonely place, our lives are in danger. Somewhere we know that without silence, words lose their meaning that without listening, speaking no longer heals, that without distance, closeness cannot cure. Somewhere we know that without a lonely place, our actions quickly become empty gestures. The careful balance between silence and words, withdrawal and involvement, distance and closeness, solitude and community forms the basis of the Christian life. Uh, Jesus knew this to be true. Uh, and Henry Nouwen's drawing off of the example of Jesus who knew this to be true, that, that within us we know that unless we get away from the hustle and bustle of life, we are not the people God created us to be. We're not able to be as effective as God invites us to be in the world around us. Uh, let me ask you this question. When, when life is full, when life is busy, when life feels overwhelming, uh, in what ways do you get away? H how do you make space to withdraw? and practice silence and solitude and be alone with God. But what does that look like for you? Jesus forces his disciples to go on ahead of him and Jesus withdraws 
to a mountainside to be alone. Verse 47, later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Uh, the disciples have been through uh, quite a lot lately. Um, there was a previous storm, uh, and they thought they were going to die. And they, Jesus is sleeping in the boat that time. And they wake Jesus up and they say, Lord, save us. Don't you care about us? We're going to die here. And, and Jesus calms the storm. This time, uh, it, it doesn't seem like it's a massive storm, but the wind is against them. They are straining at the oars. They're out in the middle of the lake, which uh, it, they would never do that. They would go along the shore to get to the other side rather than venture out to the middle of the lake. So we know that the reason they're in the middle of the lake is because the wind has pushed them out there. And they can't get back. They are straining, trying to get to shore, and the wind is against them, and they are terrified. And then they see this figure walking out on the water, which terrifies them all the more. Uh, the disciples have been through a storm. They, they're exhausted from the ministry that they've been engaging in. And uh, it's like, really? Can, can it get any worse? Here we are now, again, in the middle of this lake, and we just want to rest. And yet here we are, straining because of these waves and the wind that is pushing against us. I, I wonder often in our lives, um, when life happens, when things hit one after another after another, whether, whether it's uh, personal trauma or national trauma or global trauma, when, when, we, when the news just continues to come in waves of uh, hurricane after hurricane, and earthquake after earthquake, and shooting after shooting, and a terrorist attack after terrorist attack, at, at some point, it, it either becomes overwhelming or we numb ourselves to it. And the same thing happens in our personal lives. When, when things happen personally, in our relationships, or in our work, or in the classroom, uh, and it just keeps happening, and it seems like there is nothing in our own realm of capacity to quell those waves. And it just keeps happening over and over and over. We, we either become very overwhelmed, or, or we begin to just numb it, and ignore it, and pretend like it's not happening. Uh, I, I believe in many ways we, we live in a, in a culture where many are experiencing ongoing trauma. Uh, now, trauma may feel like a strong word for you. So let's just use the word stress, because we can all relate to stress, right? 
Uh, and we live in this world where it's this ongoing stress that we're carrying. And what we know from studies is that when we are experiencing stress, especially stress at high levels, uh, it, that um, an area of the left hemisphere of our brain goes offline. And it's the area that helps, us, helps our memory, and it's the area that helps us with decision-making. And we begin to become fragmented. And when we're experiencing fragmentation, it moves then to numbness. And numbness, in many ways, can be a gift because it allows us to push through the fragmentation, it allows us to push through the trauma, it allows us to push through the stress. But the problem is that if we stay in the numbness, uh, then we never actually deal with the stress or the trauma going on in our lives. And, and while we're experiencing this, something else that's happening is something called absorption, that all these chemicals in our body are working overtime and our bodies can't sustain those levels of chemicals. And so what happens if we don't actually deal with the fragmentation, if we don't actually deal with the numbness, uh, is the absorption that's happening in our bodies, because our bodies can't sustain it, it, it moves to addiction. We, we supplement what our bodies can no longer maintain long-term. And so, uh, and this isn't, addiction looks different for different people. It's not just drinking too much or doing drugs, uh, a lot of sexual brokenness, a lot of distraction. We distract ourselves uh, with work, uh, with binge watching. Um, if I asked you, how many of you feel busy? How many of you feel busy in your lives? Yeah. Um, how many of you uh, have started watching the second season of Stranger Things? How many of you who have started watching the second seasons of Stranger Things feel busy in your lives? Yeah. Uh, how'd you find the time to watch Stranger Things? We, we become overwhelmed and so we find things to supplement the feeling of being overwhelmed. And that might be Stranger Things, it might be work, it might be just trying to check out and constantly surfing the internet or looking at our phones or whatever it is. Uh, but we find things to try to fill that void that's going on inside us from fragmentation, numbness, that moves to addiction. Uh, when we are experiencing this overwhelming stress, I think this story gives us hope and something to look at. Because in the midst of the disciples feeling overwhelmed, in the midst of what they've gone through in the past and now what they're experiencing where they just want to get to shore and take a break. They just want to get to shore and breathe. They, they just want to get out of straining, constantly straining at the oars and experience rest. Uh, 
I think many of us experience life where it feels like we're constantly straining at the oars. The wind against us, the waves against us. And when we're experiencing life that way, it sometimes becomes very difficult to recognize the presence of God with us. That, that God is with us. And a God who came among us in a body, who experienced physical trauma as well as spiritual and emotional trauma, and experienced the greatest amount of trauma we could ever imagine on the cross. That, that this same God, who has known trauma beyond measure, is present to us and with us in our heartache, in our pain, in our trauma, in our stress. This God is with us. But sometimes, because it feels so overwhelming, we don't recognize him. The disciples here, they don't recognize him. They think he's a ghost. And they're terrified. And Jesus spoke to them. Verse 50. He said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. You go uh, to that slide, Mary Beth, that says, it is I. Um, in the Greek, it is I is literally, I am. Jesus comes out onto the water. And he says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am. Uh, there are different times in the Gospels when Jesus uses these two Greek words where he just simply says, I am, which is connected, deeply connected, to when God revealed his name to Moses in the burning bush. And God says to Moses, I'm going to send you as my spokesperson to Pharaoh to free my people from slavery. And Moses says, well, who should I say sent me? What is your name? And God says, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. Uh, the, the Jews, centuries and centuries ago, uh, declared this as the unutterable name. And because the Hebrew language is only in consonants, no vowels, we don't know exactly how to pronounce this name that God gave us. Uh, it's the con consonants Y-H-W-H. And most scholars have agreed that they think it was it probably pronounced Yahweh. What some ancient rabbis have said, and I've shared this with you before, what some ancient rabbis have said is that they believe that this name that God gave us is the sound of breathing. Yahweh. Yahweh. And what these ancient rabbis would argue that whether you believe in God or not, every breath you take, 
you're declaring God's name. Uh, what the ancient rabbis would claim is that the moment you come into this world and take your first breath, you're saying God's name. And the moment you leave this world and take your final breath, you are saying God's name. Every breath we take is gift. Uh, Jesus comes out onto the water as they're straining at the oars. And he says, I am. Uh, what if Jesus is looking at his disciples? I mean, for, let, let's just be honest. This is kind of weird. This guy, he's walking on water, right? Uh, but what if Jesus, as he's walking on water, is looking at his disciples and he's saying, Yahweh, just breathe. Just breathe. I can see you're stressed out. I can see you're overwhelmed. I can see you're weary. I can see you're tired. I can see you just want to take a break. Let me, let me just give you a little advice. Breathe. Just breathe. Deep breaths in and out, proclaiming the name of God. God is with you. Every breath you take, God is with you. Uh, in both the Hebrew and the Greek language, the word breath is the same word used for spirit. As you breathe, the very spirit of God moving in and out, in and out. Just take a breath. Um, recent studies have showed us that if we will take just five minutes a day to practice breathing, stress levels dip significantly. Go way down. All the effects of stress, uh, the opposite happens when you stop and breathe. What if we took five minutes a day to just breathe and focus on God's presence with us. Moving in, moving out, moving in, moving out. Uh, when we're experiencing stress or trauma, our, our breaths are shortened. Uh, we're not taking deep breaths and our body reacts to that. We're created holistically. It affects, our stress affects our bodies. It affects our minds, it affects our hearts. It affects our spiritual way of being in the world. Uh, in the beginning, when God created us in God's image to reflect God, uh, the text tells us that God breathed into the man and gave him the breath or the spirit of life. And he became a living being. Because the very breath of God, the very spirit of God moved into him. Uh, Jesus comes out on the water. Jesus 
reveals his divinity, his messiahship, uh, in his capacity to control the weather. I think Jesus also shows us what it looks like to be fully human. Uh, Jesus, fully man, fully God, comes walking out on the water. Uh, current studies in quantum physics, there's some quantum physicists that believe if we fully tapped into what it means to be fully human, we could walk on water too. I don't know what you think of that. I think that's pretty fascinating. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus shows us what we're capable of. And yet also he's fully God in the flesh. He comes and walks out to the water. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Number one command in all the scriptures. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. Uh, so much of our stress comes because we're living out of a place of fear rather than out of a place of take courage. I am. Just breathe. Take a deep breath. Then Jesus climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Uh, they, they didn't have the vision. They didn't have the concept. They didn't have the perception to see that Jesus was God in the flesh, that Jesus was the one true Messiah, that Jesus, what he did with the loaves, this, this physical thing, loaves and fish, uh, he can also do with the physical world. He can bring peace and bring abundance more than we could ever imagine. Uh, Jesus comes and shows us a different way of being in the world. That we don't have to live with constant stress, with constant trauma. Part, part of what we need to do is be able to, in a healthy way, look back on our lives and any past trauma we haven't dealt with to deal with it so that we can live more fully into who God created us to be. Uh, I was recently struck with, uh, you know, all the stuff going on in the news with Harvey Weinstein and all the, the men that it's been revealed have followed. followed and... Uh, um, the recent thing in social media, hashtag me too, you know what I'm talking about? Hashtag me too. Uh, <clears throat> any, any woman who's been uh, sexually harassed or sexually abused, me too. Uh, I don't think there's a woman on the planet who hasn't been sexually harassed. I would be shocked. Uh, if you have not experienced sexual abuse, thank God. Uh, if you have, it's something... Interestingly, it's something the church doesn't like to talk about for some reason. But it's real and it's traumatic. Uh, and uh, some stats show that up to 50% of women have experienced sexual abuse. Uh, it's evil, it's wrong, it's traumatic. Uh, and I'm sorry. And my hope for you is that you can experience the healing presence of Jesus who comes 
on board and says, take courage, I am. I am with you, I am for you, I am present to you. I'm the one who has created you with the very breath of life in you. Uh, it's not okay that that happened. But there, I believe there is a God who is present to bring hope and healing and, and a new way forward. Uh, for those of you who have experienced other trauma that has uh, just caused you to be numb and caused you to not live fully into who God created you to live, uh, my hope, my prayer for you is that you would know and experience the healing presence of Jesus, who came to bring hope, who came to show a better way of being in the world, and who is present in your pain, who is present in your heartache. Uh, this same Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he was betrayed by someone very close to him, and on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This, this Lord, this Jesus, experienced more trauma than we could ever imagine. He's present to you in yours. My hope this morning is when you take this bread and dip it in this cup, that you'll experience the healing and the hopeful presence of the risen Christ. God, thank you. Thank you that you are a God who came among us. Thank you for inviting us to just breathe. Help us to take a deep breath and recognize that it is the breath of life, gift from you flowing through us. God, give us the courage to to face the stress, to face that which is overwhelming, to face the trauma in our own lives. And allow you to speak to us, take courage. I am. I am here. I am with you. I am for you. Help us to believe those words, God. Give us more hope and more healing and the capacity to bring that to others. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.